Shabbat Shalom, everyone. You know, that, that Torah portion is not super exciting, I know. I want, I want to promote Elder Randy's Torah class, but it's already full, so I don't know if I should do this or not. But, but you can read part of a portion like that and say, well, that just doesn't seem too exciting until you come to Elder Randy's class where he unpacks that and what that means. Because all of that stuff is pointing to Messiah, a revelation of who he is and who we are in him. So his, his class runs every week down below, and that's at 11.45, 11 to uh, 12.45. So it's already full, but we can put more chairs in, put you in the nosebleeds. It's really a small classroom, so we're okay. But yeah, come to that. I think you'll enjoy it. <clears throat> so I'm in um, a series on, in, uh, on the kingdom of God. And this, this is part six, and my staff is saying, hey, you need to like slow down. Uh, a series should be maybe two or three. <sighs> I'm stuck. I think it's going to be six or seven. Can you hang in there? Can you do this with me? I need your help. This is about the kingdom of God, and this concept of the kingdom of God runs from all the way early in the Exodus account through the book of Revelation. It's the central theme of the Bible. That's why this series is so long, because it covers so much literature in terms of biblical studies. It's a big, big issue. It's a central issue. It's the gospel of God. It's the gospel Jesus came to preach. The good news that the kingdom of God has finally arrived, and it's growing like a mustard seed, and it's going to overtake everything. And when he comes again, the kingdom of the world will become his kingdom. It's amazing. It's exciting in every sense. And so I'm in uh, number six in my series, and I've entitled this Kingdom Authority. Kingdom Authority. The kingdom of God comes with authority. And this authority manifests in many different ways. Some of those are what we call signs and wonders or miracles. In fact, a miracle is an event that appears inexplicable by the laws of nature, and so is held to be supernatural in origin or an act of God. In this teaching today, we're going to take a closer look into miracles, signs and wonders, and the authority of God to perform them. So let's start with a definition of the word miracles. Let's, let's get a working definition so that we can all be on the same page. So I'm going to quote from Dr. Richard Knopp. He uh, lists five main types of miracles. So we'll work our way down through these. There's different types of miracles in the Bible. The first one is called creation miracles. Creation miracles are those supernatural events where God does something that's extraordinary, inexplicable, hard to understand. We call it a miracle. So this first category is called creation miracles where he creates all things seen and unseen out of nothing it's transcendent these miracles of creation are transcendent it's something that is almost well it's more than we can comprehend but the more we look into the creation itself the universe 
the more we're able to say the Lord is absolutely marvelous in every way. Powerful, omniscient, he is the only true and living God. The second category is what we call sustaining miracles. Sustaining miracles point to the ongoing operation of nature that especially allows humans to exist and flourish. The whole universe caters to our little planet. The whole universe is finely tuned so that human beings can exist on planet Earth. It's amazing when you look into the fine-tuning of the universe. God is fine-tuning and sustaining the entire apparatus which, which allows you and I to live our lives as human beings for His glory. Hebrews describes God's Son as, quote, sustaining all things by His powerful word. And Paul refers to the Son as the image of the invisible God in whom all things hold together. This is what we call the sustaining power of God to keep everything going and, 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 and you know, in place so that we can live our lives. That's miraculous. I mean, there are just literally so many miracles taking place at any given time in terms of how the universe is sustained so we can live. The third category is providential miracles. Providential miracles do not appear to go against the normal operation of nature. But the timing of related events, yeah, that's what seems miraculous. So it's, it's not miraculous in and of itself other than the timing. Now consider this incident with Jesus. He was accused of not paying the temple tax. Can I hear an amen? But he, he always made good on the taxes. Can I hear another amen? Okay. We're not into application right now, so don't worry. Okay. So he was accused of not paying the temple tax. Jesus told Peter, go fishing. Quote, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Peter does. Sure enough, the coin's in the mouth of the fish. And it's sufficient to pay the taxes that Jesus owes. Yeah. Now, was it a miracle that there was a coin in the fish's mouth? No. No, it wasn't. How many people fish? Yeah. What do fish like to eat besides stink bait? Shiny things. That's why you use lures. Yeah. They see something shiny, they want to eat it. So it's not absolutely, uh, uh, you know, a miracle that a fish seeing a coin shining and pick it up and try to eat it. Yeah. So there's no miracle there other than the timing event, right? He says, go, go fish, get the first one, and there is going to be a coin in its mouth. The miracle was because of the timing between what Jesus said and then what occurred. In a sense, we might call this a coincidence, right? Because there's no real miracle other than the timing. So some might have said, ah, that was just a coincidence. You can write it off as a miracle and call it a coincidence. You know, I think a lot of times we might call coincidences miracles when they're not. And there's other times that it might be miraculous and not a coincidence. So those are kind of the issues that we 
uh, have to run with. Fourth, predictive miracles. Predictive miracles arise from making accurate predictions that are not adequately, adequately explained by mere luck. Catching the fish with the coin was both a providential miracle and a predictive miracle. Why? Because Jesus foretold what Peter would find in the fish's mouth. Fifth and final category, suspension miracles. Suspension miracles may appear to be violations of some natural law, but it's better to think of such miracles as suspending of natural principles. How does that hunk of metal with all those people in it get up into nothing and fly around? Like, you know, is there no gravity under that hunk of metal? How does that work? See, that appears to be a miracle if you lived in the ancient world and you could take one of those, you know, an F-16 fighter jet plane and somehow get it into a time machine and take it back, right? Everyone would be like, that's a miracle, right? I mean, even today, when you think about it, the laws of gravity would say you can't do that. No, the law of gravity isn't being superseded. It's due to aerodynamics and working within those laws that you can actually overcome the law of gravity without violating it. Does that make sense? So we call these suspension miracles. Now, included in those are other uh, examples such as healings and nature miracles. Uh, one more important point about suspension miracles is that they uh, are astonishing, observable events that offer truth about God and often authenticated a messenger of God. So we think of miracles of healing or deliverance of demoniacs and so forth. Those were quite dramatic. We may not always understand what's taking place. There's not a violation of the laws of physics. It's just that the master knew how to work within those laws and accomplish things that we look at and say, how did he do that? We don't understand how to do that. And thus we call it what? A miracle. So God uses both natural and supernatural phenomenon in miraculous ways. When it is natural, it can easily be dismissed as coincidence. We're going to look at that in a few stories here. When it is supernatural, it's much more difficult to dismiss. Think of the resurrection of Jesus. That was difficult to dismiss. It turned that whole area upside down when he rose from the dead. There were guards that, that you know, were in a lot of trouble over that one because they could not explain how that happened. I mean, it was a supernatural event that took place, a transcendent miracle in terms of the resurrection of Jesus. But many other miracles that the Bible says are miracles or signs and wonders can be explained away as mere coincidence because God uses natural phenomenon to accomplish his goodwill and purposes. He uses natural phenomenon in terms of signs and wonders that for those that have eyes to see and uh, the wisdom to understand, they can say, yeah, that was an intervention of God in a natural way. While everyone else, mostly unbelievers, will say, nah, that was just coincidence. So we'll look at that in just a minute. Let's go back to Pharaoh land, Egypt, Exodus chapter 7. I'm going to talk about the miracle of the serpents. Let's look at the first miracle. 
These are the 10 plagues of Egypt, if you will, or the 10 signs and wonders. Exodus 7, 1 through 13, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh, and he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So Moses and Aaron did it as the Lord commanded. Thus they did. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you saying, work a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff, throw it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and thus they did just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. That is a miracle. Taking a staff, throwing it to the ground, and it becomes a serpent, that's a bona fide miracle. Right? Verse 11. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. They did the same thing. Moses and his brother Aaron come to speak to Pharaoh. They give him a wonder, a miracle. Pharaoh calls his sorcerers, and they too do the same miracle. Verse 12. <clears throat> For each one threw down his staff, and they turned into serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. We call these power encounters, right? Close encounters with the third kind. These are kingdoms, a dark kingdom and a kingdom of light in conflict with each other. And the powers of those kingdoms being manifested before men. Think about that for a moment. The kingdom of the serpent, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan has power and authority. And then you have the kingdom of God, which also has power and authority. One origina originating from light and one originating from darkness. Both of the kingdoms have power. Both are interfacing. In our realm, the natural realm, the supernatural realm, you know, phenomenon of these kingdoms are manifesting in our natural realm. Verse 13. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Verses 14 through 24. The next miracle. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water and station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile and you shall take in your hand the staff that was turned into a serpent. You shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not listened until now. Thus says the Lord. 
By this you will know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it will be turned into blood. The fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will become foul, and the Egyptians will find difficulty in drinking water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff, stretch it out over or stretch out your hand over the waters of uh, Egypt, over the rivers, over their streams and over their pools and over all their reservoirs of water that they may become blood. So there will be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. So Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord commanded. And he lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile in the sight of the Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile died. The Nile became foul so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And the blood was through all the land of Egypt. This is super interesting in light of the fact that in Egypt, this phenomenon of the Nile turning to blood happened before this event. In the history of the Egyptians, this wasn't the first time that this occurred and wouldn't be the last time either. Because there's a natural thing that takes place late in the fall, which sometimes because of, of the rainfall and, and, and uh, 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 mountain runoffs and algae and so forth, it will turn the Nile red. See, see, it's going to be easy for Pharaoh to look at this and say, is this truly the Lord or is this just natural phenomenon? See, God is going to use natural phenomenon, of course, but he might do that in miraculous ways. And then other people might look at that and write that off and say, nah, that's just natural phenomenon, when actually it was the Lord who caused that, either supernaturally or naturally. This becomes very complicated when you look at these signs and wonders in Egypt. Now, verse 22 complicates matters. But the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts. Yeah, his magicians again duplicate the sign and the wonder, which certainly begins to harden Pharaoh's heart when he begins to say, there's nothing new here, guys. I mean, my, my sorcerers can do all these things. Your, your God is no greater than our gods. Go away. I'm busy, right? So they did the same thing. They took clear water and they turned it into blood. Then Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart turned and went into his house with no concern even for this. So all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Third miracle. What happens? The frogs come. The multiplication of the frogs. Frogs everywhere. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. There, there were so many frogs. Where'd they come from? The Nile. They came from all the streams, all the pools. Everything that turned to blood forced the frogs right out. Everything in was dying. And the frogs came out. See, again, this is a natural pheno phenomenon that can, you, can you know, certainly be the explanation rather than God's hand. Let's read about that. Exodus 8, 1 through 7. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs, which will come up and go into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into your houses of your servants and on your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. So the frogs will come, come upon you and your people and all your servants. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the streams and over the pools and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So, Mo, or so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of the Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Miracle? Or was God just using natural phenomenon? And in the timing of it, surprising everyone. Keep in mind, this is the third sign and wonder. What do you think Pharaoh does? He calls for his boys, the sorcerers. Again, the magicians did the same with their secret art, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Kingdom clash, kingdom wars, right? Both kingdoms fighting for the allegiance of humanity. We get to the fourth one. This is the game changer. This is where everything turns. Exodus 8, 16 through 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the earth that it may become gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. They did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Now, these magicians can no longer duplicate what's being done. But again, the question has to be asked. Is it just coincidence? All the frogs now are dying? What's the natural phenomenon that's going to follow on the heels of dead frogs? Gnats. That's part of the process of of how, how, you know, the environment takes care of itself. So now Pharaoh has to say to himself, is God involved? Is this the God of the Hebrews? Or is this just a big setup and coincidences? Yeah, that's what he's going to choose. He's going to harden his heart over and over and over. But from this point on, everything that takes place, the magicians cannot match. What does that tell us? That the kingdom of darkness has power phenomenon, miracles, but nothing that can match what God can do. His power is much greater. His authority much higher. There's just no comparison between the two kingdoms. And this becomes evident in the story of the Exodus. Verse 19 says, they could not, they tried to bring forth gnats and they could not. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This, keep, I want you to think of this phrase. They told Pharaoh, Pharaoh, this is not natural phenomenon. This is not nature. There's something more involved. Yeah, it includes nature, but there's something greater here. It's the finger of God. This is significant when you think about it. This phrase, the finger of God. Goes on to say, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Finger of God, finger of God. Where else do we find this? 
in the ministry of Jesus. Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 23. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. Now, I want to just pause and give you a little background of the story. Jesus has been doing lots of miracles. Some people are just writing them off like Pharaoh. Some are just saying, ah, that's just coincidence. Oh, that's just magic. You know, there's no real supernatural thing going on here. Now, in Israel, there were other miracle workers that came before Jesus, especially in Galilee. Honey Ben the circle drawer, Honey Ben Dosa. I mean, these, these were charismatic, you know, Jewish rabbis in the north that did miracles of healing and deliverance. Just, just a fascinating group of rabbis from the north. But there were certain miracles that had never been performed before in all of Israel's history. One of those was casting a demon out of a mute. That had never been done before. Because in Judaism, pre-first century, uh, the exorcists, for whatever reason, couldn't cast out demons unless they had the name of a demon. So if a person was demonized, they had to work in this deliverance to get the demon to disclose its name. For whatever reason, and it's not explained, not even in the Bible, they had to get the name before they could cast it out. Without the name, the demon wouldn't come out. Once they got the name, they could cast the demon out. Some of these charismatic rabbis would get the demons to disclose by using the name of God, which was forbidden in Judaism. You could not pronounce the name of God. That was already ruled as being blasphemy. So no one could do that other than the priests and and celebrated charismatic rabbis. They could get away with it because they were obviously doing signs and wonders and God was with them. So they would use the name of God. They would say, in the name of yud Hey vav Hey, disclose yourself. And those demons would respond. They'd get the name and they would cast it out. Now, how do you get the name of a demon if the demon has control over the vocal box, the vocal cords? This person's a mute. The person cannot vocalize. So guess what? In all of Israel's history, among these celebrated rabbis, no one ever cast out a demon from a a mute. But they did say this. The Messiah, when he comes, he'll be able to do it. Only the Messiah. This is a category of miracles that only the Messiah is going to be able to do. And here's Jesus on the scene. He's casting out for the first time in all of Israel's history a demon from a mute. Fascinating. Let's pick this up. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebel, the ruler of demons. Can you imagine that? They're now going to attribute his power to the dark side. No one had ever done this before. Verse 16, others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and he said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And a house divided against itself is 
falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Catch the context? Kingdom. This is another clash between kingdoms. The whole theme of the Bible is about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the serpent and its war over humanity. How these kingdoms interact and interface with our realm and our lives. If Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? In other words, Satan doesn't cast out his own demons. His kingdom would never make it. And then he shifts gears and he says, what about you? The question that he gives them is, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, then by whom do your sons cast them out? And of course they can't answer. And so he says, and so your sons will be your judge. Luke eleven twenty, But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, there's our phrase, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Yeah, see, if I'm doing those works which no one else can do, not the dark side, none of their, none of their, their sorcerers, right? Then I'm the transcendent one. I've done this by the finger of God. This is a supernatural work. It's not natural, it's supernatural. A divine intervention in this realm by God himself. He goes on to say, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Suffice it to say, Yeshua's authority and power is the highest. He's above everything, all authority, all power. And his kingdom, his power, his authority will have no end. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this, beginning verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that your eyes may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. The surpassing greatness of his power, the finger of God, towards us who believe. That implies that as a believer in the Messiah, the power of heaven is given unto you. Paul's saying, I hope you get this revelation. I'm praying, God, help, help your people open their eyes, help them to see who they are. Help them to see this unsurpassed great power and authority that you have given to them to do war against this kingdom, to bring in the lost through signs and wonders that each believer has access to that power and authority. 
He goes on to say, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he has brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion, kingdom terms, and every name that is named, power sources, principalities, right? Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus, exalted, King of kings, Lord of lords, above all powers and authorities. And there's plenty. There's plenty. There's a majesty in the unseen realm that God created that exists to this day, many of which are fallen, powerful, majestic beings, fallen angels, fallen divine beings, demonic spirits that have authority, wisdom, and power. Jesus is exalted above every one of them. Verses 22 and 23. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Did you catch that? He gave Jesus to us. He gave Jesus to the church. The one who is above all has been given to us. We have received the kingdom. We've received the king. We are one with him. People, we need to be praying. God help us to understand what that is. You know, help us to understand our power, our authority, our mission, our mandate. It's time to do the work of the kingdom. Each and every one of us. We, we are the sons and God, daughters of God. People, we have the, we have, we're partakers, Paul says in another place, we're partakers of the divine nature. We're born again, born from above. The Spirit of God in us. We're partaking in the divine nature of God. We have power and authority. We just got to learn how to use it. When you walk and you interface with friends and loved ones and someone's sick or someone's tormented or whatever it is, you got to understand who you are. You're, you're God's gift to them. You have the keys to help them. The keys for them to encounter the love of God's power and mercy and grace and when you understand who you are and you begin to exercise it life gets real interesting it's a blessing it's a blessing to be used by god now i want to shift gears here in fact i'll just read this text too it's ephesians chapter 2 i'm going to work my way down starting verse 1 Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, all formerly, I'm sorry, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, including the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love by which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace, you have been saved. And here it is. And he raised us up with him 
and seated us with him in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, so that in ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. First his power and then his glory. Yeah, this is amazing, both in the here and now and in the age to come. Think about that for a moment. We have been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. This, this, this really is kind of a, a, a figure of speech for Paul as he tries to get across our position that we have in Messiah. Positionally, we are seated with Christ above all powers and authority. It implies that we have the kingdom, the power, and the authority as representatives, representatives of God to plunder, plunder this Egypt, this world we live in, and take those who are held captive and bring them into the kingdom of light. I want to tell you an exorcism story. My wife and I um, were helping some high school students that uh, had gathered. They were wanting to do Bible studies, and it was a pretty typical group of high schoolers, you know, uh, rebels pushing the limits, doing things they shouldn't be doing, and some of them got into some, some kind of dark places. And we had one girl that was in our group, um, and in fact, this group at this time, this this group of high schoolers was a group of about five or six uh, girls. And so the one girl uh, that had come to the group, she was in a really bad place. Uh, she was just tormented with fear. Uh, she wouldn't come out of her home. She, she had anxiety attacks. Uh, she wasn't going to school. She was just really tormented with fear, and it was just ruining her life. And their friends brought her to our group. And so uh, we shared with her, uh, you know, what God could do for her and what this was all about and asked if we could try to help her, if, if, if she would let us pray for her. And she said, yeah, she, she, she was in a bad place, and she just wanted help. Is what she, she was desperate. And so we said, okay, well, we're going to talk past you. So what we want you to do is just relax and know that God loves you and that you're safe. Nothing's going to happen to you. Uh, but you might experience some phenomenon as a result of, of the very source that's causing all this fear. And we don't want you to be afraid of, of that. That's just, you know, part of what's going to happen. But you just stay calm, relax, let us, you know, help you. And, um, and, and you're going to find freedom tonight. And so she nodded Jess, and we began to pray. And as we began to pray, this demon manifested. And we began to ask the demon its name. Because, you know, we've done enough exorcism to understand that for whatever reason, if you can get the name, it really helps. Okay? You say, well, you don't need the name. You got Jesus. Yeah. Have you ever done one? Thank you. So just hold that thought. <laughs> so uh, since we're practitioners under Jesus and learning, we you know, still had to get the name, okay? Have not arrived yet, okay? So we're working on getting the name. We can't get the name, you know? So Dawn shifts gears, and she says to the demon, she says, um, the, de the, the demon wouldn't come out, and the demon says, I don't have to come out. And so Dawn says, by what authority do you have to stay in her? What's your authority? You claim you don't have to come out because you have some type of authority to stay in her. What is your authority? And the demon said, her necklace. We said, what? And it said, the necklace. 
So we said, okay, we command you to be silent, submerge and be quiet in the name of Jesus. And then the girl kind of came to, and uh, we said, uh, you're wearing a necklace. Could you show us that? She says, yeah, yeah. She pulls it out. And it was a beautiful necklace, sculpted, pewter, that soft metal, you know, kind of looks like silver. And it was a beautiful, just intricate design. And guess what it was? The death reaper, the reaper of death. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the spirit that has the, the curved, you know, deal. Yeah. It's a symbol. It's a symbol of the reaper. Yeah. The spirit of death. She's wearing that. We said, you know what? The demon says that it doesn't have to come out because it has some kind of claim through this uh, uh, necklace that you're wearing. And obviously, it's the Grim Reaper, you know? Uh, so would you be willing to give that to us? You know, you're, you're, would you be willing to renounce this and give it to us so that it's no longer yours? You, you have no rights to it. And she says, absolutely. So she gave it to us. We said, okay. We're going to go back, we're going to pray, can talk past you again, you know, so just know you're okay. And so she kind of nodded Jess. So we said, okay, demon, we've got the power source. Give us your name. And this petite little high school girl screamed. It was like a death scream. It was like a blood-curdling scream, but it was a male voice. It was not a feminine voice. It was a... a a masculine voice that was low and guttural and forceful, and it screamed with all of, of, of this girl's lung capacity, fear, just this long, big scream of the word or, or the name fear. And it was so, so scary that the other girls all started screaming and doing the flight dance where your legs are going up and down, but you don't know which way to run. Ah, you know, they're doing their dance, you know. That was kind of scary too. And then they all ran down the hall into a room, slammed the door, and you could hear them still screaming in there. Yeah. And she screamed that out until she had no breath left. And then she just kind of slumped. And then she took a deep breath and she opened her eyes and she looked at us and she said, it's gone. She says, it's, it's gone. I felt it leave. It's gone. We said, praise God. And we prayed for her and led her to Christ. And we said, tonight you're going to walk in a measure of freedom. You have never walked in before. And that thing's over. If you don't open the door to it again in the future, it will never come back. It's not allowed to come back. And she left that night free of that demon. It was amazing in every way. And Don and I, of course, when we walked away that night, again, we realized the truth that we're seated in high places with Jesus, who's over all principalities, all authorities, all powers. That demon didn't respond to us. It responded to Christ in us. It was responding to the light of the kingdom. It was responding to the finger of God saying, I give up. I cannot battle against the finger of God. This is the whole idea behind the authority of the kingdom and why the kingdom is so central to the gospel. It actually is the gospel. It was amazing in every way. Paul goes on to say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them, saved by grace, empowered by the Spirit, so that we can go and do kingdom work. 
Is that exciting? We got something to do. We get to do the stuff. Jesus said, these works that I do, you shall do also, and greater works than I shall you do. Why? Because he's going to grant us the Spirit of God, the power of God, the authority of God. All of heaven's going to stand behind us to go and be the light of the world to a broken and desperate and fearful world. So I'm going to close with this, especially those that are watching uh, our live streaming or maybe have uploaded a video. Just want to, um, to go to this prayer. You're either in the kingdom of the serpent or you're in the kingdom of God. There is no neutral land. There is no neutral geography, not on earth nor in heaven. You're either in one camp or the other. The kingdom of Satan, a malevolent uh, kingdom of evil, a kingdom that seeks your life, a kingdom that wants to torment you, a kingdom that wants to kill you, or you're in the kingdom of God, a kingdom of love and joy and peace, of eternal life, the love of the Father watching over you. And so if you don't know what kingdom you're in, you're probably not in the kingdom of light. But I want to make sure that everyone is in the kingdom of light. And so I want to pray this prayer. And if you're comfortable and you want to pray with me or pray after me these words, I encourage you to do that. I know most of you here are saved. Maybe There might be a few that are not. You can pray with me this prayer. But for those that are watching by way of video, I want to extend this to you as well. It's a very simple prayer, but, but God responds to that simple faith. And that's what results in your transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So just follow along. And pray this simple prayer with me from your heart. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe that God raised you from the dead and exalted you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Forgive me of my sins. Save me. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Now, if you've prayed that with me, you're born again. Join a Bible-believing church. Get baptized. Start your new life with great joy and celebration. Let us know you've prayed that prayer. Write us. Dialogue with us. We'd like to hear about that. If you're here today on site and you've just prayed that prayer for the first time, let me know after this service. We'd love to schedule and get you baptized and get you running into that exciting new life that is yours in Christ. So for now, go and be the light of Jesus in this dark and desperate world. Amen? Shabbat shalom.